This is the UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. This is episode number 28 of the UU Perspective, where you hear weekly interviews from Unitarians and Unitarian Universalists that are changing the world. Whether you're already a member or a seeker exploring the faith, there is something here for everyone. So as you sit, walk, jog, or drive, enjoy the conversations you're about to hear. Today, you're going to hear from Susan Katzmiller, who is the author of Being Both, Embracing Two Religions in One Interfaith Family. And she has been a journalist for Newsweek, and she has written for many different magazines, blogs. Uh, She has also has served on the board as co-chair of the Interfaith Family Project, the IFFP, and She resides in Washington, D.C. So we're going to think about how your congregation interacts with interfaith families. What interfaith families do you have in your congregations? And how are you serving those families? How are you interacting with them? How are you being inclusive inside of our religious education? There's many questions to think about, and we'll bring those up as as I talk to Susan and ask her many interesting questions about the interfaith families and what happens with the youth in an interfaith family. They're being taught both religions, and what happens when they grow up? What do they choose? How do they choose? So let's get to it, and here is Susan. Well, welcome, Susan, and I'm very thrilled to have you with us today. And I've already given everyone a little bit of information about you, but I'd like you to take a moment and tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in the UU community. Sure. My parents are an interfaith couple. My father's Jewish, my mother's Christian, and that's sort of what launched me on this life's work. As it happens, I was born on Beacon Hill, just a few blocks away from what was then and was for a long time the UUA headquarters and Beacon Press. And I feel like this was almost fate that I was sort of destined to interact with the Unitarian Universalist world throughout my lifetime. And that has, in fact, been the case, even though my parents chose a different pathway for raising their interfaith family. So they chose to raise us in Reformed Judaism. But when I was about five, we moved out to a small Boston suburb where the Unitarian Church had pride of place adjacent to the town green. And my father, as one of the only Jewish people in that very Protestant town, was invited by the UU ministers to come and give the Passover Seder in the religious education program every year when they were studying that part of Judaism. So I was very aware of the idea that Unitarian Universalists were open to us as an interfaith family and to studying other religions and to having this very positive relationship with Judaism. And so I think all of that sort of sunk into my head. Now, fast forward to 2013 when my book was published by Beacon Press. And I don't think that's a coincidence. Uh, When I set out to write a book about 
interfaith families, about celebrating more than one religion in interfaith families. I think Beacon Press on some level was always the place I intended it to be published, and I think they were one of the only presses that would have dared to publish it. This is still a very controversial idea that interfaith families have the possibility or the right to claim more than one religion or celebrate the fact that they are interfaith rather than seeing it as a huge challenge, a huge barrier, a huge problem. And I was very delighted by my team at Beacon Press, a lot of whom were from interfaith families, a lot of whom uh, are UUs, and their support for me in getting this book out into the world. Also, can you go forward and your presence at uh, GA this year? Yes. Well, since the book has been published, I've done a lot of speaking, including at some UU congregations, and then... I was delighted to receive an invitation from Loretta, from the religious educators, liberal religious educators, to come and speak at the GA this year in Portland on interfaith families as interfaith peacemakers. And I also did a two-hour professional development workshop for the religious educators on professional day, the day before the GA, about really affirming the identities of interfaith children in UU religious education classrooms and both supporting those children in their interfaith family heritage and also learning from them, um, drawing on the richness of having them in those classrooms. So it was an amazing experience being with thousands of UUs during that GA. Um, For me, it was almost a unique experience because a lot of times when I speak about my work, I have to really defend the idea of complex religious identities and creating identities out of more than one uh, form of, of faith or more than one religious background. People find this very challenging. In a UU context, it's almost that this is the assumption, this is the background, this is well understood. Interfaith families have been finding welcoming, inclusive homes in UU congregations for generations. And so for me, it was interesting because it was like I was preaching to the choir. So I had to sort of push further and and say, okay, here's a group that already gets my interfaithness, why interfaithness could be a good thing, and, you know, how can we push on further from there? Wow, that's so cool. (laughs) That's great. It was cool. Yeah. So let's talk about being an interfaith family. What does it mean to be an interfaith family? Well, there's a level at which I and other people have said every family is an interfaith family. And that's because no two individuals have identical beliefs or practices, even if you share a religious label. So you could both be Jewish, but one of you, you could both be Reformed Jews, but one of you could be, you know, very mystic, very spiritual, and the other be an atheist, and you could still share that label. Um, And so in any family, you're going to have a dynamic of bouncing off of each other, uh, at times challenging each other, and at times enriching each other. And a lot of what I write about is the idea that this dynamic 
can and should be a positive thing and that it's important for interfaith children, and one could say all children in the sense that all families are sort of interfaith, it's important for children to understand that this is a, a, a natural and a positive thing and not sort of not sort of internalize messages that they may be getting from religious institutions or family members that being part of an interfaith family is challenging all the time or or uniquely challenging or solely challenging. Not that challenge is always a bad thing. We grow, we're enriched by struggle, but what, by what in Judaism, you know, we call the wrestling, Israel means wrestling with these ideas. And so as an interfaith child, you're going to wrestle with the idea that your parents don't share all their beliefs and practices, but that's going to create growth. And it's not necessarily going to be painful or, uh, you know, something that you can't overcome. For me, being an interfaith child has been a great source of creativity and inspiration. And I encourage parents to help their children to see it that way. So inside of an interfaith family, they can choose to either teach their children separately about their religious beliefs or they choose one or the other, or they can mingle it together in some sort of way. Is that correct? Uh, yes, there are many choices. I mean, you can choose to do, to do nothing to avoid the topic. And, and historically, a lot of interfaith families have felt forced into that decision, which I think is sad because I think children benefit from having community and from wrestling with ideas of spirituality and religion. You can choose one, and a lot of families have done that, and that can be a successful choice. My parents did that for us. They chose Reform Judaism as our singular practice and label growing up. You can choose all religions and teach your children about all religions. You can choose a new pathway that's going to work for all of you. And I guess I would include UUism as one of those third pathways that has worked really well for a lot of families that were, say, Jewish and Catholic or, you know, could be Muslim and Episcopalian. They have found welcoming and inclusive homes within UUism in which to raise children. Um, my book highlights the pathway that I chose for my kids, along with my husband, which is that we taught them both religions specifically and deeply in the context of an interfaith families community that was formed by and for interfaith families doing both, in this case, Judaism and Christianity. And in my book, I chronicle this grassroots movement of families pushing back against the idea that they have to pick one identity and insisting on passing down connection to both and there are communities in, large communities now, in New York, Chicago, and Washington that are doing this. Each of those communities has over 100 children being raised in an interfaith education context with classrooms where we have a Jewish teacher and a Christian teacher in every classroom. And in the case of my community in Washington, D.C., which is called the Interfaith Families Project, we have both a rabbi and a minister on staff. So you can see that this is something that philosophically and theologically fits in very well with a Unitarian Universalist world, that we share the idea that we don't 
pass down dogma to our children, that we give them the freedom to create and construct their own identities, and we teach them multiple religions as important his history and culture, and that this is going to make them better citizens in the world. Where it's different from most Unitarian Universalist congregations is that we put that specific emphasis on Judaism and Christianity because those are the two religions in these interfaith families that are part of the congregation. The idea that everybody in the community is Jewish and Christian by definition because they've joined gives it a very different feel. And also the idea that we have clergy from both Judaism and Christianity and we have that balance in each classroom of an educator from each religion in each classroom. And I guess I would say that we go deeper into Judaism than you would in most UU communities. For instance, we start Hebrew in the pre-K classrooms so that children will be ready if they so choose to go through a bar or bat mitzvah process if they want to do that at that age inside of the IFFP that you belong to, that's actually doing educational things to to really show both sides of the spectrum of the religions, right? Right. So again, that's another another choice. I mean, either we could, we could be involved in a UU community and get a very broad idea of many religions, but in your case, it, it is specific to two religions. Yes, um, but, you know, I would point out that there aren't that many of these intentional interfaith communities, interfaith family communities yet. And when couples contact me from Nebraska or Tennessee and say, I, I read your book, I love this idea of celebrating both, but we don't have a community like that, so what do we do? I say to them, well, you could form a new community, but that's a lot of work. Or you could look around and find a Unitarian Universalist community because you're going to be able to, at home, teach them whatever you want about your family religions. And you're going to, in a UU context, be supported and be able to celebrate that interfaithness. There's nothing uh, in UUism that, that's counter to that. And, and in fact, you're going to find other interfaith families in most UU communities. And so that might enable you to have a smaller network within that community with whom you could do, say, you know, more Jewish stuff if you want to. There's also really nothing from stopping people from belonging to more than one community. And this is something we see Pew Research has found a very high rate and a growing rate in the United States of people attending more than one house of worship. And not just interfaith families, all people. So you can belong to a UU community and you could be part of an interfaith families community simultaneously. So part of my work is trying to get clergy and religious institutions to understand that going forward, as we're in a more interfaith world, as there are more interfaith families, as there are more millennials who are spiritual but not religious or who are religious but don't, you know, refuse to put themselves in one religious box. Institutions and clergy are going to need to share us, you know. It's it's not a competition. It, it needs to, we need to really take that com- 
competition out of it. And I'm trying to get clergy, for instance, to work across religious boundaries to support these families. So you might have a minister and a rabbi working together to support a family who might belong to both of their congregations. And this is something that's pretty challenging because there's been a feeling that you have to pick one. But my feeling is people are voting with their feet. They're, they're, they're resisting that idea. And, and if you want them engaged in your community, you may have to share them. <laughs> <laughs> and how has, such as when you were at GA, how did the ministers respond to that? It was really interesting. I mean, I think that there's a tension for a lot of people who were first encountering this idea between the idea of the importance of deepening a sense of UU identity, which I understand is really important, and the idea of acknowledging and affirming interfaithness as a positive thing for these families. Now, I don't see those as an either or. I see them as a both and because I'm a both kind of person. That's what my book's all about. But, you know, for me, the history of Unitarian Universalism being so welcoming for interfaith families, um, the role that many interfaith families have played in UUism is something that we can and should celebrate. And so I see interfaith families as being an important, creative, inspiring part of UU identity. And, you know, I, I appreciate, for instance, I'm sure you're aware Skinner House is putting out a whole series of books on complex religious identities in UUism. There's Jewish voices in Unitarian Universalism, Buddhist voices, and I think they're coming out soon with pagan voices in Unitarian Universalism. And there are lovely essays in there from people both celebrating and struggling with their complex identities. There are many UU clergy members who are from interfaith families. And so, you know, this is nothing new. I'm not delivering some surprising news to the UU community about the importance of interfaith families in Unitarian Universalism. This is well known. What I'm saying really is that we can take a next step. And part of what I talked about with the UU religious educators was the idea, for instance, if you have a child in your class and you know they're from, say, a Jewish and Catholic family, and the family has chosen Unitarian Universalism as their home, that child is going to be a UU, and you're going to help them with their UU identity, but they're always also going to be an interfaith child, and the child knows that because they're going to be celebrating their cousin's first communion or their other cousin's bar mitzvah. And so they're going to have these formative experiences in the religions of their family. And so how do you respond to that? Well, one way is to reach out to that family and to the other clergy that might be in their life. You know, I was told about families who say only come to UU Sunday school every other week, and then they're going to a different community on that off week reach out to the other clergy and say, look, we're sharing this family. This family has cousins in your community, or this family is attending your community. Let's work together to support this family. And 
you may learn something in the process. I mean, you, you'll certainly learn something in the process. And, you know, there's a lot of interfaith dialogue, interfaith activism that goes on in communities where the clergy get together and talk about issues. Often, interfaith families are not part of that discussion. Unfortunately, interfaith families have often been excluded from official interfaith dialogue events because they challenge the premise of those interfaith events is often that nobody's going to convert anybody and we're going to have very clear boundaries between you know who is hindu who is buddhist who is christian the reality is a lot of families are already crossing these boundaries and that's a little bit challenging but part of my work is encouraging those interfaith dialogues those interfaith engagement, interfaith activism events to include people from interfaith families because they actually have skills in interfaith dialogue that they have, you know, polished through 24-7 engagement with their spouses and with the extended families and with their in-laws and with the cousins. You have to really become an expert in that kind of dialogue. So I think it's a lost opportunity if we don't include people from interfaith families, and if we don't let those people tell their stories, they need to be able to tell the stories of their interfaith families in these contexts in order for us to learn from them. And it sounds like, so clergy need to step over the line, and like you're saying, they need to meet with the families or extended families and the other clergy, you know, that is related to whatever religion they are, in order to kind of bridge any gaps. Yes. And then, you know, your community, your classrooms benefit because then if you want to say, do a unit, you're studying Hinduism, instead of just doing a field trip and, and, you know, going to a Hindu temple and being visitors, guests there, if you have a family that bridges those two communities that has cousins in that Hindu community then you're connected through these family affiliations. That's going to be a much stronger connection and you're going to have a more meaningful experience if you have kids in your classroom and they have cousins in this other community and say you do a community service project together. It's going to be much more organic, much more natural. Um, And there's a strong reason to be building those bridges beyond just education about world religions or curiosity. What have you seen with the children, how they have adapted to this? I mean, you even had your own personal experience too when you were younger with kind of there was a struggle there, right? Yes. Well, what I say is that any pathway you choose for your interfaith children, whether it's pick one religion or pick two or pick all of them or pick none, there are always going to be challenges and there's always going to be benefits so there's no pathway you can pick that's going to be without challenge because you know being an interfaith kid you're going to have to go out and explain yourself to the rest of the world no matter what your identity is so for me my parents chose a jewish label and that had certain benefits one of the drawbacks is that i had to defend my Jewish identity to the Jewish community a lot of the time. Because if you're from an interfaith family, people are going to say, you know, you're not really Jewish, or you're not Jewish enough, or did you do X, Y, and Z? If not, you're not Jewish, etc. 
if you choose both religions for your children, as I did for my children, they have to still go out and explain themselves. So people will say, you can't be both. What does that mean? You have to pick one. Interfaith isn't a real thing. So they're going to have to explain themselves. And that is a growing process. It will build your character and you will become more articulate, more thoughtful about who you are because you have to defend yourself to the world. Uh, But again, this is something UUs are familiar with. I know often as a UU, you have to explain yourself to the outside world that doesn't really understand what that means. So, Mm -hmm. Do you provide any type of programs that help children be able to explain themselves in a easy way that, you know, they don't have to be on the defensive? Yes. I mean, that's woven through our curriculum, you know, from pre-K through teen group, which is one of the benefits of, I think, this choice is that we acknowledge that kids are going to have to go out and, and explain themselves to the world. But, you know, I I don't want to make too big a deal out of this. For kids who grow up with family in more than one religion, it actually seems very natural, very organic. It is actually more problematic for people who are coming from a single faith background. And so what we teach them is the person struggling is the person asking you the question, the person, you know, challenging you. They're, They're struggling. That doesn't mean you're struggling. I mean, you may be struggling with one thing or another at one point or another. But the idea that it's a constant struggle is something that's external, something that's, that they're trying to put on us. And often, for these kids, it feels normal because this is their reality. And, you know, there's a metaphor which is useful a lot of the time about being bilingual. Kids who grow up speaking more than one language do it fluently. It's much harder as an adult to learn a second language. But there's even a metaphor where for kids, being bilingual is easier the earlier you start. So for kids who were born into interfaith families that teach both or that talk about both or just try to create an affection for both and a positive connection to both histories, no matter what label you choose for the child or no matter which religious affiliation they're going to have, that positive sense, if it's given it to them from the beginning, it's as natural as speaking more than one language. So it sounds like when they grow up, then it it is much easier for them to speak about various religions and much simpler than if you did come from a single religious background. Well, a lot of us who were raised with a single faith background were taught that it's not okay to cross religious boundaries, that that the boundaries are very important. I'm not saying they're not important. You know, every religion has a right to create its own boundaries and to create its own membership criteria. And part of what we teach these kids is if you want to be a certain kind of, say, Christian, you're going to have to do whatever it takes to become part of that community. That might mean baptism, for instance. If you want to be part of a certain type of Jewish community, you're going to have to do a certain type of conversion process. So you you can't just claim to be part of a community that has those boundaries. You have to respect whatever those criteria are. At the same time, those communities don't have a right to tell you what you feel 
internally. And that, that's the identity part rather than the membership part. Now, interfaith kids grow up to make their own decisions about religious affiliation, just as all people grow up to make those decisions. A lot of us raised in one faith by two parents of the same faith will end up keeping that faith we were brought up in. It's a default decision, or it can be a very thoughtful decision. But everybody has the right in America, where we have you know, freedom of religious choice, to change affiliations. And for interfaith kids, no matter which label we give them, they may grow up to choose the other religion or a new religion. Or I imagine for a lot of the kids we raise with Judaism and Christianity, Unitarian Universalism might be a very logical home for a lot of them. But some will choose to be Jewish, some will choose to be Christian, and some will choose something completely different because people grow up and they have that free agency. Yeah. Is there anything that we have overlooked that you would like to share about this topic? It's just that I am very encouraged. I feel hopeful uh, when I see a lot of religious institutions and clergy beginning to understand that interfaith families are an opportunity as, as well as a challenge for them and that there are benefits to being part of an interfaith family, that there are ways that this is inspiring and not just challenging. And I have seen a shift. I know there are religious institutions that are reconsidering their policies on, for instance, you know, who's allowed to be in their Sunday school or, you know, whether clergy is allowed to be from an interfaith family or be married to somebody of a different faith. And so I'm feeling very optimistic that good is going to come out of this period of religious flux and flow. And maybe we're going to keep fluxing and flowing. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to say. <laughs> All right. Could you share with us a, an inspiring quote that you have in, in the inspiration it gives you? Yes, I want to share with you a quote from theologian Forrest Church. Unitarian Universalists are neither a chosen people nor a people whose choices are made for them by theological authorities, ancient or otherwise. We are a people who choose. Now, that quote really speaks to me, even though I'm not a UU. I think of myself as a UU ally or a UU fangirl. Um, but as an interfaith child, it's obvious to me that I am a person who chooses, who engages in the creative act of constructing my own identity. But I also feel that every human being, no matter what family they were born into or how they were raised, has that right and responsibility to choose their own spiritual and religious beliefs and practices and affiliations. So I see this as really a truly universal quote. And the last question I have that I ask everyone, and I've adapted it just a little bit for you, it is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact the interfaith families? That's easy. You know, because it does not insist on a creed, on a dogma, it's in a great position to welcome interfaith families when both parents want to maintain their religious identities 
And, you know, there's a big overlap between the rising categories of religious nuns, N-O-N-E, and the spiritual but not religious, and interfaith families. You know, it's this, this changing and shifting American religious landscape. And with the rising number of interfaith families and millennials exploring across those religious boundaries, I think UU communities are going to have great appeal. All right. Well, thank you, Susan. I've really appreciated the time you've given us and what you've shared about the interfaith families. And good luck to you and with your book. And we'll talk to you hopefully soon again. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the UU Perspective podcast. And you can catch all the show notes at uuperspective.com, episode number 28, and a lot of great links from Susan um, and also to her book. You can catch, catch that. And also I would like to give a shout out today to some um, great followers who have helped out in spreading the word and some of those are Reverend Melanie Ensminger and Janet Mason and Bart Frost and a special thanks to Deborah Gray Boyd you have given me a lot of leads to many of the guests that we have had on the UU Perspective podcast so very big thanks to you. Also feel free to leave a voicemail on SpeakPipe which is directly on the website at uuperspective.com and you can leave a 90, 90 second message and let me know who you'd like to hear on the show in the future and also if you ever want to leave a comment or ask a question you can do that at questions at uuperspective.com So until next time, have a great week, and we'll see you then.